3: Hour number two of the Fitzy and Lions program. Your old pals, Nick Fitzy, Stevens, and John. Mr. Football Lions coming at you from Boston Sports Original, 93.7 FM. WEI and WEI.com. We are taking your texts at 37937. And the phone lines, the floodgates, the dynasty talk, and the opinions of the Apple Plus TV docuseries will now come streaming in. Do you believe it's a little revisionist historianism football-wise for your liking? Is it too much of a craft production or like me? And I know I'm an easy mark because I'm oh, fancy and work for the Patriots. Oh, I'm a Patriot super fan. Of course, you're going to like it. It's made for knuckleheads just like you. Fine. Then apparently I found it, but I understand why they did a lot of what they did in the narrative choices they've made. Let's get going. Hour number two, John, with one of our favorites here at the station. Somebody who only knows one speed to land the plane, and that's coming in hot. To the south shore we go. One of our favorites, Danny from Quincy. Hi, Danny. How are you?
4: Hey, well, you know, I had a call because I don't, I haven't watched any of that documentary, but Fitzy, I, do they, do they, how much time do they spend on the 07 Super Bowl against the Giants?
3: It is uh, the entire episode, so it's a 40 minute episode. It's episode four of Danny, and the entire episode is Spygate and the Super Bowl itself. And I would say, John, what would you say? A good 10,
5: 10, to, 12 10 to 12 minutes to on like the it's game a, itself yeah. and the aftermath?
3: It's a chunky, yeah. it's a chunky piece, Danny.
4: Well, I get, when you, cause you were you Wes Welker, you know he had 11 catches in that game for 103 yards. He would have been my MVP had they won the game. Oh no, he
3: was going to be MVP,
4: Danny. Yeah, and Randy Moss didn't. He had one registered catch at the 11-minute mark of the fourth quarter. That's how that's how much Spagnola, the genius that he is. He's the second coming of Bill Belichick in terms of defensive geniuses. Um, they had a decimated secondary in that game, and they they, they decided to flood the uh, flood coverage and rush four, and they took Randy Moss out of the game. And and Belichick, this is where I get I get I get on him for not kicking the field goal. And oh, the
3: 47-yarder with Guskowski, hundred yeah. percent. That right. is a massive whiff.
4: They they refused to take Brady out of the seven step drop for most of that game. That's what got him in trouble, and because because he, he was they were continuously trying to get the ball to Randy Moss, and and the Giants took him out of the game. It was Wes Welker and and uh, the, the Dinkin. When they got the Dinkin, they only did it on two drives. Ironically, it was the two drives they scored on. And I get and Brady Harrison dropped an interception on that last drive as well. He had he had a chance at a pick. Mm-hmm. So there were there were a lot of things in that game. And uh, I heard your partner Andy say, uh, if you could trade in the sec the the second three Super Bowls for an undefeated season and four, you know R- Brady would have got four rings with a 19 and 0 season. I would have taken the 19 and 0 and the four rings. I, That's wow. No yeah, other see- team.
5: No- I don't know if I would trade all three. Like, if you told me, would you trade twenty eight to three would, for nineteen and zero? I, I would probably do that. Oh yeah, like twenty and twenty eight to but three. Yeah. Again, it's an iconic moment, greatest comeback ever. Blah blah blah. That yeah. made great Brady the goat because it was his fifth. All this. I don't think I would trade all three championships for that, but I would trade like another iconic moment, like twenty eight. But, but three.
4: I think Andy's bet. Andy's bet. You had to. You had to take the. You know, the undefeated in the four rings. He had to give up the second three. But anyway, and the other thing. I don't know if they played it when they uh, when when the microphone was put in Plaxico Burris' face he they asked him for a prediction and he said we're going to win 24 to 17 and then they put the mic in Brady's face and he said I can't believe Plaxico only thinks we're going to score 17 points right and they didn't they scored 14 mm-hmm. uh and and that to me that was the crux of the game the defense got the blame but the offense only put up 14 and you know Brady never gets blamed for anything, so I, you know, you got to blame the offense a little bit for a little bit, a lot. Fifty-eight minutes, they only put up 14. They took Randy Moss out of the game, and Belichick deserves blame for not adjusting the game plan to take Brady out of that seven-step drop. It just it just pisses me off to no end. Still,
3: yeah, uh, I appreciate Danny. I appreciate the call. Thank you so much, pal. And I, uh, I, I'm with Danny in a lot of those ways too. Like obviously, we can sit here and uh, you know ruminate on it, and uh, you know. Uh, being a diaper of regret and sad over it. But at the same time, Danny's right. Like, they, I think, one of the things, like, if we were going to, they were trying to focus on what Spygate meant and why the Patriots decided to go into scorched earth FU mode, why Belichick became so reclusive, and what this meant on a national scale. And then, of course, we shared that great thing about Scott Pioli saying you become addicted to winning. And then I remember towards the end of the season not enjoying the wins but more feeling that sense of relief, like, oh, they didn't blow the perfect record. Good. Yeah. Okay. I felt that. Oh, in the I just want them to get that. Yeah. Uh, like in the, oh, AFC, in the Jacksonville
5: game when they were down early? In the AFC Championship game, like let's not forget Brady threw three like, picks correct. in that game, Crow-Marty and he got hurt. Up. And I was like, oh, imagine if they look like, oh, no. Like, Is this how was, they're going out on a, like, to a one-legged yeah. Phillip Rivers? Yeah, that's that to me, and, and LaDainian Tomlinson didn't even play in that game. Remember, he tapped out. Her, like, If we that, had memes back then, right. Antonio
3: yeah. uh, LaDainian Tomlinson would have been a meme sitting there with the dark visor and his puffy coat on the sidelines. Yeah,
5: so that's, again, I thought it was a great episode. Overall, and I get why that story needed to be told. It was just – and, again, there's mm-hmm. so many things in that game, too, you can go through there. Just Josh McDaniel
3: should have had his feet held to the fire a little yeah. bit, though. But like,
5: why didn't you
3: – why did you have to try to take
5: out the ca- – So like, the I Maserati saw an interview w- – and sorry to cut you yeah, off, please, Fancy, but please. right on that point, I saw an interview with Heath Evans probably in 2012, 2013, that time frame where he said their game plan in that game was to actually run the ball a lot. Let's not forget their first touchdown was a Lawrence Maroney rushing touchdown. Correct. Their game – but – His quote was, somebody up front couldn't do their job. So someone along, and I think it might have been Logan Mankins, and I don't want to just throw him under the bus. But But the whole offensive
3: line famously said into into yes and and with you here just for a second, the whole offensive line will tell you, for some reason, they just didn't have it. They had a terrible, they'll all tell you they had a terrible week of practice. I don't know if they were partying. I don't know if they were already, if they were pre-celebrating, whatever it was. But Kasher got destroyed at right tackle. Yeah.
5: Um, that was a tough matchup too. That Giants defensive line to start out with, it's a tough oh, Strahan matchup. Strahan and Alford yeah, and young and that, Justin Tuck just dominating. Yeah, In the NASCAR package where they mm-hmm. put like the defensive ends over the guards and like it was tough. And then like you said, that they, they didn't play well on top of it.
3: Right. So that combination therein obviously didn't line up for them. And you know, Heath Evans probably did have a good point. They did want to run the ball. But in that case, when you had Wes Welker, whose entire game, as Dandy pointed out earlier, was basically a passing version of a running game. I don't know why they didn't get the Kept trying long passes yeah. to Stallworth. They tried long passes to Gaffney. They didn't take what the Giants were giving him. Only once they did later yeah. on were they able to do anything. And
5: yeah, Quiet we, game from the tight ends, too, if I remember right. Yeah, didn't well, Ky- really get... Kyle Rudolph wasn't yeah. really much yeah. spoken of. Yeah. And ben Watson. Kyle yeah. Brady. Kyle Brady. Not yeah. Kyle Rudolph, excuse me. They, Kyle him. Rudolph, they might have won. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that was another thing. Quiet quiet game for them, too.
3: Let's go to uh, Phil in New Hampshire talking Dynasty here with Fitzy and Lions. How are you, Phil?
6: Hello. Happy Saturday, guys. Oh man, you're still. You, I, I oh, was going to say, God. was
3: your Saturday that good? You want to keep it celebrating? Go ahead, buddy.
6: Actually, we had uh, we had babysitters, so uh, my wife and I just stayed home and relaxed on the couch, and it was it was fantastic. <laughs> we usually boy. go out, but last night we just relaxed, and it was nice. Nice. Anyway. Um, I can't get away... Like, you can't get away from the fact that this is a craft production when you watch it. Mm -hmm. So, and and it tells you two stories. Like, story number one is crafts is meddling right from the beginning. When you say, this is what I want, you do what I want. You do what you want. But if it doesn't work out, there's consequences. That is the boss telling you, you know, I really would like to see Drew. If you're going to do it with this kid then, you know, there's going to be consequences and accountability. That is the definition of meddling. That guy couldn't even hide the fact that he was meddling from day one. And then also the Asante, Sam- Asante Samuel, um, you know, not touching it at all. What's Asante Samuel uh, – what's, what's, what's his claim to fame right now? I hate Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. That's his thing. So it's like, all right, the guy who hates Belichick, he gets away scot-free when he's been, you know – kind of like the butt of jokes along the line. So there's like this underlying agenda, and I don't appreciate any of this, like, media blitz that the crafts have been putting on since, like, week 11 of the season and making this guy go to the podium. And, like, I feel like they did him dirty, and I feel like a lot of – like, I'm starting to think in retrospect that a lot of things that Bill did, the more he come, he isolated himself, the more he tried to have his iron fist, I think it was his response to to, to you know, the owner – saying what he wanted, so I don't think that I think in a, I'm starting to see some Henry-esque, uh, John Henry-esque qualities from the crafts, and I'm starting to think a little more um, that the Patriots won not because of Bob Kraft, like the dynasty wasn't because of Bob Kraft, but more in spite of Bob Kraft, that's what he, he doesn't realize that people who look through this are kind of seeing that when you watch it, and that's what I'm seeing, because it's a craft production, I would love to see Bill and Tom do this that would be the greatest thing in the world, but Anyway, I'd like to see a, a neutral party do it, not the craft uh, agenda being shoved down my throat. I appreciate
3: the call, Phil. Thanks so much. Do you think this... How do you think this would have come across? So, obviously, that Phil and many other people believe... And because it says at the end, Copyright 2024, Craft Dynasty Productions, LLC. Obviously, they bankrolled it, had a significant uh, a say or hand in it, John, if you will. Um, but the filmmaker and writer have said that Final final cut final say was not given to the crafts on this that they made their choice now it could have been influenced by but it wasn't final cut coming from the craft family um, do you think it should have been a com a totally emotionally divorced company like somebody from way out of nowhere and would the crafts even have given them like hbo
5: or somebody does it yeah would you've gotten the access you wanted if the crafts
3: weren't involved at all like that's the catch as catch can here
5: yeah look and and i think that guy and phil appreciate the call i think he goes a little too far there like in the craft like if craft really wanted to meddle he could just say hey bill start drew you know Mm -hmm. or, or whatever and he didn't um and look i i think to me like my quibbles with it of them leaving out the 0304 Super Bowls I don't think that's cuz Bob Kraft didn't want those there like I just think they for their narrative choice of like hey patriots fans already know what happened and we're going to talk about the other parts of the story to the nash audience the 07 stuff like look there's definitely a little creeping feeling that they're gonna make Brady and Kraft look better than Bill in this. And mm-hmm. part of this is because of the way it's ended, which, by the way, and look, I'm a huge, I'm wearing a Belichick sweatshirt right now, okay? I'm a huge Belichick guy. He was the driving force behind Tom Brady leaving. Like, that is a fact. Spygate was something under his purview. That is a fact. Like, he's the greatest coach of all time, but it's also like, it's okay to tell those stories. My concern is part of it is because Bill, it feels like he's not gonna say that much the rest of the way because mm-hmm. he didn't wanna is it going to come out where he doesn't get the full appreciation he deserves? Because I felt like episode one gave him a ton of appreciation for Mm -hmm. sticking with Brady and how they built that team. All the way up to
3: Super Bowl thirty-six, yeah. I think there was a lot of love and lionizing of Bill Belichick for sticking to his conviction, yes.
5: And I think there's a lot of raw feelings here in New England right now because I know it was a mutual parting of the ways, but it really feels like Bill got fired a couple months ago. Mm Mm-hmm. So, or a month and a half ago. So because of that, I think there's a lot of raw feelings among a lot of Patriots fans that, well, you just fired this guy. Now a documentary is going to make it look like he was third out of three in the you know pecking order of the dynasty. So I hope that doesn't happen. But I also don't think they should shy away from telling the fact that, like, he did draft Aaron Hernandez. Aaron Hernandez did go to meet with him at the combine and say, I'm feared for my life. And Bill said, get a safe house. Like those are facts. Yeah. And
3: then later you learn some other things that Hernandez, that, that episode is so tell again, it's so telling as well. And it is like the decisions that were made by Bill Belichick. This isn't a true deification of Kraft and Brady and a villainization of Bill Belichick. And if there is anyone that can handle a lot of that, it may be Belichick. And we'll just close with this because I know we're going to get to Jen McCaffrey, uh, from, Fort Myers in just a few minutes here, John. We're looking forward to talking a little socks for a moment and taking a Pat's break. I I will I will say this. You know, Belichick made his own bed, acting the way he did, making the choices he did. I think he can handle it. I don't think he's mad that he feels un, unappreciated around here. Uh but um, you know, in in large part, it just sort of it is what it is. Like Brady famous, there's a clip that they released where Brady says, you know. You know, it, it is what it was. Like it didn't need to be more than it was. Like it was kind of, per- even though it was yeah. wildly imperfect, it was perfect as well. I, I just, I don't, I don't think Bill Belichick is going to be the bad guy that he was. And I think fans around here. To close my final thought here is, I think fans around here, because there was such negativity and things went south with the Patricia offense and Mac Jones and Belichick left before. I think a lot of people thought he should have as well. Be this craft production Hall of Fame bid or not. Fans around here were looking forward to the Dynasty being 10 episodes of this is why you were the best and this is why you had it better than everyone else. And there are a lot of things that may, you know, skew toward tabloid-esque, if you will, at times. But that's part of the narrative. That's part of the storytelling. That's part of how other people saw the team as well. And it can't just be 10 episodes of blowing fan service up your you-know-what. So here we are. I hope you guys enjoy it. Please continue sharing your thoughts. Two more exciting very 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 compelling episodes coming your way next friday uh as well and right now before we get to jen mccaffrey from fort myers and red sox spring training camp we catch you up on everything trending in the wide world of sports with john Lyons.
4: call from mom answer it call silenced
3: instacart
7: knows nothing gets between you and the game that's why they make ordering from your couch easy
5: Back here on WEEI, I'm John Lyons, alongside Nick Fitzy-Stevens. We have Nico behind the glass as well. We've talked a lot of Celtics and Patriots so far in today's show, but the Red Sox, Fitzy, they are back mm-hmm. in spring training. And on the Harbor One hotline, I want to bring in Jen McCaffrey of the Athletics. She's been down in Fort Myers, and she can tell us all about the Red Sox and what's been going on with them. Jen, thanks for taking the time. Welcome to the program. Hey, guys. How you doing? Not too bad. How's uh, things been down at Fort Myers?
0: I actually got back to Boston on Friday, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a productive two weeks for them, I guess. Um, you know, they seem to kind of get a lot done down there in the time before games started, so now we'll see if it actually all kind of comes to fruition, all the planning and preparation and work that they put in.
5: Yeah, and I'm sure it was nice that it wasn't, you know, 30 degrees down there. Like, it's been up here, Jen. I'm a little jealous of you, but well,
0: it was actually like 55 for most of the time, so it wasn't it wasn't all that warm for a while. So it was kind of annoying, but it did it did warm up towards the end. <laughs>
5: all right, all right. Well, I would like to actually get to to real baseball stuff here, Jen. And you wrote an interesting piece in the Athletic about the Red Sox run prevention unit and their real focus on that. And last year, the Red Sox, I mean, their pitching staff, 24th in ERA, 24th in opponent batting average. They you know hits allowed per nine innings. They were 25th. So, this run prevention unit that you took a look at, how much of a difference do you expect this to make on their pitching staff this season?
0: Yeah, so I guess I'm um, sort of to kind of backtrack a bit, basically, you know, when Breslow was hired, he was, you know, the, the pitching guru. Everybody kind of saw him as the one revamping the entire, you know, pitching infrastructure and... You know, as his job with chief, as chief baseball officer, he's kind of got a lot of a lot of work to do, obviously, in a lot of different departments. So he kind of t- well, he kind of hired a group of people to sort of reorganize, um, you know, the pitching infrastructure in his kind of uh, you know it, with using his thoughts and sort of his uh, um, you know level of expertise, and that's kind of how um, he got. Andrew Bailey to kind of come on and be pitching coach. Um, obviously they're great friends from years past and had played together, but Bailey had been in San Francisco. And um, following that, they hired a director of pitching, which is what Breslow had been in Chicago um, previously before he became an assistant GM before he was hired by the Red Sox. And so the two of them sort of spearheaded this, what they ended up calling this run prevention unit. Bailey's a very high energy guy and kind of wanted a, a little nickname to sort of, um, you know, I guess, kind of unify the group. So it was the two Willard and Daly, as along with Jason Baratek, the bullpen coach, Kevin Walker, and then a couple analysts on the team to sort of um, look at everything from all sides. So it was obviously from the field side, but also from the analytical and medical side of like how they could get more out of the group of pitchers that they have. That's really been a big theme this spring. Obviously, everybody's been very... Um, critical as they should be of the team for not adding more pitching, you know, obviously with Blake sell and Jordan Montgomery still out there, but um, you know, Bailey and his group can only work with what they have. So basically they took, you know, they sat down with Breslow in the beginning of the off season and kind of talked with Breslow about his thoughts, but then sort of they were the ones tasked with like implementing the whole thing. So they spent hours and hours and hours, uh, you know, one of them estimated hundreds of hours on zooms this winter. They didn't even meet in person until winter weekend Um, And basically, mapped out these player plans for um, each uh, pitcher on the not only on the 40 man roster, but all the minor league signees. Um, So it was about, you know, 35 pitchers. um, And obviously, some were still kind of coming into the system as spring training started. Um, And basically, just laying out all these kind of goals and and projects that they wanted each pitcher to work on to kind of just get more out of themselves. And so, yeah, the guys so far in spring training have been very receptive and there's been seems to have been a lot of buy-in you know and and just a lot of energy and kind of focus they've kind of implemented just different sort of um, drills and things like that to kind of again get more out of the guys and um, like I said so far you know they seem to have been really um, positive feedback from you know Whitlock and Pavetta and Munkowski and, and any number of guys on the on the staff. But obviously, it only matters if all of this you know um, comes to fruition not only in spring games but obviously in the regular season.
3: Jen McCaffrey from the Athletic, kind enough to join Fitzy and Lions on Weei on a beautiful winter Sunday via the Harbor One hotline. Uh, so you know, Jen. Just a, just stepping away from the media aspect and trying to look at it as a baseball fan, which is how we all grew up before we got into whatever respective angles of the business we now find ourselves in. Baseball, spring training means the sun is coming out soon, and spring means summer is around the corner, and we look forward to the relief, the joy, going to the ballpark, everything that makes baseball so special and why we loved it in the first place. And it feels like already there is this resignation. It's like it's not Red Sox nation. It's it's resi- Red Sox resignation right now that this team is going to underwhelm, underperform. Fan fan base-wise, it seems like people are already starting to check out, and we've only had but a spring training game thus far, and we've got a split squatter today as well. And it's late February. And tying this into something Raphael Devers said um, earlier this week when he basically was one of many to say, like, yeah, this team needs more. We let them know. Um, and they sort of se- seem to sit on their hands all winter long. Is is there is was there a feeling? Did you get any sort of vibe from the team that they're kind of already down and out on things? Or is there a sense of opt- some sense of optimism about this team that they'll maybe surprise people with the caliber of their play and the quality of the lineup this season?
0: Yeah, I think, honestly, I think it's both. I think that they are frustrated, you know, and as you said, Devers was as vocal as I've ever heard him. I've covered him since the beginning of his career, and I was very surprised that he was as um, just outspoken um, about the team not adding, you know, enough to the lineup, enough to the rotation, Um, and I think there is some of that. At the same time, um, you know, I think a lot of these guys are kind of uh, heading into the season trying to prove something. You know, they are, you know... Guys don't want to head into a season and just play 162 for nothing. So I right. think there is sort of so, some sort of, you know, we want, to, we want to try to show people that we are good enough, even if the team, you know, didn't want to invest fully in us. Like maybe there's some sort of we want to prove to them too that, you know, um, we're good enough to continue adding to this team, whether it is, you know, in spring training here or later in the season if they kind of come together and somehow are still, you know, in at the trade deadline. So I think I do think it's kind of a both. I don't think it's super cut and dry, but guys have been, you know, there, there has been, I think some surprise that there wasn't more additions, especially since some of these guys are still out in the market. You know, Montgomery's wife is um, a dermatology resident and kind of in Boston for her, for residency. And so it seems like, you know, he's right there and why are they not adding They're well below the luxury tax threshold? You know, there's so many factors of, it's just been a strange um, process with that. Um, but at the same time, I think these guys do have egos and do kind of want to prove that, you know, we, we can do this. So I, I think it's sort of um, been a little bit down the middle. I don't think there's like anarchy in the clubhouse and, you know, they're, you know, um, you know, going against, you know, ownership and Cora and, and all that. But at the same time, I think that they're trying to um, they're, they're frustrated, but also trying to prove them prove themselves at the same time.
5: Jen, I want to follow up on that because you mentioned Jordan Montgomery and of course Blake Snell is still available as a free agent. Dylan Cease is still available via trade. There's been a lot of frustration in Red Sox nation. That they haven't got one of those guys and they weren't able to get Yamamoto in December. Is there one of the, like you mentioned Montgomery and his wife, you know, being in Boston in her residency, do you get a sense that eventually they'll get something done with Montgomery or trade for Cease or bring in Snell? Or is it kind of like, hey, this is what we have, and we're just going to move forward with what we have?
0: They, they've they sort of kind of left the door open, and I don't know if that's just them trying to, again, you know, make it seem like they're more invested than they are. They've been, you know, in talks with, or how many times have we heard them say that they've, you know, that they were in the mix for a certain guy. Um, but, so it doesn't sound, it, it It's, 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 it's tricky. You know, there's these guys out there. They've been talking with these guys. We've, you know, uh, various reporters have had different reports, whether they're in or they're out. You know, I, the people that I've talked to seem that they, they're still, they're still right there in the mix. They're not, um, they're not completely closing the door. It sounds like they're just sort of playing the waiting game. And, you know, obviously Scott Boris, who's got a lot of these top free agents, um, is doing the same thing on his end, so you know how long is it going to take until one side breaks? Um, I don't, I don't think they're completely out of the mix. I, I think I would be surprised if they did add, only because they've talked about just the pay, keeping the payroll down, and um, you know, just not giving giving Craig Breslow parameters to work within for the payroll. So it, they're kind of like towing the line on on. Uh, what they're trying to do here. So it's, uh, it's tricky. I don't know. I, at this point, at one point, several weeks ago, I thought for sure they were not going to be adding anymore. They seem to have sort of backed off that hard line stance of not adding anymore. So is it going to be, maybe the trade for ceases is, is sort of still on the table. I don't know. It's, it's, it's been a, a very weird spring spring training in that sense. And not just in the Red Sox, you know, clubhouse, but across baseball, because a lot of these top players are still out there. So it's, it, there's just a lot of uncertainty of how this is all going to land and how these guys to be honest, how these guys are going to ramp up, obviously they're doing workouts on their own, but it is kind of strange to be you know a few weeks into spring training now, and these guys haven't even found teams like you sort of have to at some point start to be concerned about their workload and if they're going to be you know ramped up for games and kind of getting into things so um into their workouts getting in learning you know new new systems with new teams there's there's got to be some sort of soft deadline or or hard deadline, I guess, to kind of get all this done to make sure that these guys are ready for the start of the season.
3: Yeah, there's always this thing to cross sports momentarily where the free agents in football hold out. John, we've seen this a lot happen where guys show up late to camp and then they get their big deal, and next thing you know, like second game of the season, it's like, and this guy's got a torn hamstring, and he wasn't in football shape per se. And, Jen, I wonder, too, if a lot of these guys will be in baseball shape Back to all and they're and they're all Boris clients and he's holding his cards extremely close to the vest, seemingly thinking that he's just going to be able to make double pay for all these guys. When I'm sure Jordan Montgomery at this point would just like to get back to baseball as well. And you get all these teams that are like, well, at this point you're going to hold on the money, then you're going to be out. Um, back to the offensive side of things, uh, I saw that there was this fellow by the name of Mark Contreras who's like uh, ripping the cover off the ball early, so everyone's going to immediately fall in love with him and think, hey, there's our there's my new spring training crush. But Is there anyone you saw hitting, uh, fielding, et cetera, any any offensive stars maybe that we're overlooking or that we aren't really thinking of now because people are just focusing on the the discontent of uh, not getting a power bat in right or not adding more starting pitching in the offseason?
0: Yeah, I know this one's probably not all that exciting, but I do think Bobby Belbeck has a legitimate chance to make the team sort of the backup at first base for – Uh, Tristan Casas he always seems to sort of have a good spring you saw him have two hits yesterday and you know you don't really read too much into early spring numbers or really spring numbers in general it's more about sort of just the overall process but they've been really you know high on him this spring you know obviously new uh, baseball management so maybe there's a different thought process but with what he can bring Um, but it has been you know for as much as we've it's you know seems like a certainty he's going to get traded this winter or be part of a package this winter or they're going to designate him for assignment because he didn't come up at all or you know not until the very very end last year and had a you know pretty decent triple a season um they he seems to be right in the mix Corey's talking about him and you know he's been playing in games and is kind of shifting around first to third like he does and also you know been working on flexibility and and being getting some outfield reps as well so um, that one kind of, you know, from the beginning of the the off season till now, that one stood out to me just because it did seem like they were kind of ready to, you know, uh, move on from him. To be honest, but it seems like he's he's got a, a chance at this point to to kind of win a, a a bench role, and then you know any number of guys that are sort of. Um, you know, still in the mix that you saw a lot last year, like Pablo Reyes seems like he's going to have a pretty, um, you know, significant role off the bench this season. And um, Von Grissom is the guy that obviously they traded, mm-hmm. um, you know, Chris Sale for. And so he's kind of been delayed a little bit with some hamstring stuff. So I'm kind of curious to see how much that's going to affect him in the early, you know, early week or two and how, you know, they might fill that if, if that becomes something more, it doesn't sound like it will. Um, but you want to see a new guy in this in the you know a new guy to the organization and someone that's going to be here for a while so I, we haven't really been able to see a ton of him um, so' I'm, uh, I'm curious to see kind of how he plays out um, I'll be back down there in a few days and I kind of want to see if he's going to be into games yet uh, same with Yoshida to be honest Yoshida's dealing with a little um, you know, arm soreness I get guess, guess at the end of last season and they've been working with him to kind of build up his arm strength. So we haven't seen um as much of him. Um he's supposed to be getting into games in the outfield and um in in the in, in DH uh DHing like around March first. So um not anyone um that's super stood out so far, you know, in terms of com- guys completely off the radar. I think more on the pitching side is where you're gonna find more of those guys. Um Benitez, Olivares, you know, um, the guy they got in from in the Verdugo trade, Greg Weiser, Isaiah Campbell's the guy that's probably going to be in the bullpen mix is who they traded for him at the beginning of the offseason for the second baseman, Luis Rias. Um, so I think you'll see maybe some more unfamiliar names that stand out um, on the pitching side. But so far on the offensive side, it's been a lot of uh, familiar names and maybe that'll change once, you know, we get a little deeper into spring training.
5: All right. She is Jen McCaffrey of The Athletic. Jen, I really appreciate you taking the time on here with me and Fitzy. Great insight. And uh, we hope to have you back on again soon.
0: All right. Thanks, guys. Awesome.
5: Thank you
3: very much, Jen. That was nice. Uh, All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm again, I'm trying to. Figure out where the hope is coming from. That Red Sox like,
5: resignation line was yeah.
3: good because But that's what Pat. It, I said it for the fall with Patriot Nation because Pat's Nation developed all of these micro fissures and and these you know schisms and there's these mini civil wars. Like I'm angry at Kraft. I'm angry at Belichick. We should love him more. We should. And now in Red Sox. And now, but there's just and that's what's been and that, you still see this going on as we're arguing about the dynasty and everything else. But whereas Red Sox fans, it feels like there's unity. There's unification in Red Sox Nation that it's just that this team's not going to be that compelling. And, you know, you'd love to hear, like,
5: oh, Tyler O'Neill and his 3% body fat are going to rip the cover off the ball. Like 34 homers in 2021. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, and it's funny because the name that I was going to ask her about as far as like who to be, and she brought it up was Vaughn Grissom, who they got in the sale trade. And it's like, I'm excited for Vaughn Grissom to see what he has, but. I mean, that should not be the headline piece either of what you're excited about, at least offensively. And she mentioned, like, the Jordan Montgomery situation. His wife is a dermatology resident uh, here in Boston. Like, the guy's here, and you have other – and she's like, but it does. It still doesn't feel – like, she got the sense it still doesn't feel like they're going to actually pull the trigger. and Like, yeah, it's there, and maybe they will, but it doesn't really feel like – and. and Again, like you said, we're a couple weeks into spring training.
3: He signed a freaking closer a week ago that's not going to pitch this year. Yeah, they already signed another. Pit. They have two pitchers. They lead the league in pitchers that aren't going to pitch this year. Yeah, by, by, by the, a, a country mile. And they might be great guys. They have great stories. They might be tremendous additions in two thousand twenty-five and beyond. But the Red Sox are doing everything they can with every Sam Kennedy soundbite, every lack of every bit of inaction from Breslow and ownership to tell you, guys, this is a placeholder year. At best. Bridge year. Oh, God. Remember when Theo said
5: that and they got mad at him? Uh, Try saying it it now. Yeah, I know. And and the funny part is I think the signing I'm most excited about, Fitzy, is one of those pitchers that can't pitch this year, Michael Fulmer, who Mm -hmm. won Rookie of the Year when he was with Detroit, has had multiple good seasons in 2022. He was really good in 2022. But he's not going to pitch this year. Nope. So it's like, so really, for me to be excited, like I'm excited for Vaughn Grissom. I am excited for Tristan Casas. I think, I think if he had been healthy all of last year, he could have won Rookie of the Year Mm -hmm. or at least finished a close second. But
3: why are they cheaping him out? Like Like, he, he, you somebody told Brad like, hey, uh, so they offer
5: you a deal? Yep. Was it hard to turn down? Nope. Yeah. And it's like, and Brian Bayo too. Like I'm excited for those guys, but I think on a really good team, like what the Red Sox should be. Those should be complementary and depth pieces, and that like, hey, these are these young guys that we think are going to be future cornerstones. But you, right now, their lineup to me, it's Yoshida, Devers, and Casas. Like those are the cornerstones of your lineup. I think if you're if the Red Sox are what they should be, Casas is not one of those cornerstone pieces right now, coming off an injury in his you know second full season. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So we. Uh,
3: Almost. Grab a quick uh, call yeah. before break. Uh, Ralph in Cranston wants to talk uh, Sox and Raffy Devers before we uh, pay some bills. Hi, Ralph. How are you? Hey, guys. Good afternoon. You know, your guest mentioned Dalbach. To me, Dalbach's a
7: very, very valuable guy on the right team, not here. Why he did not ask for his release in the offseason, what are you doing? You play really good defense at two positions. I could see Atlanta picking him up, the Dodgers picking him up, and really using this guy uh, 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 on the bench. But the thing with Devers is that was phenomenal because if they're upset with Devers, what do you do? You just signed him to this (laughs) long-term contract. He's here for
5: a decade. (laughs)
7: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so now he's upset, your star, your main player. But you know, guys, what really upset me and, 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 and guaranteed my thoughts that they don't want to do anything, George Sola would have been the perfect pickup for this team. He signed, he, he's a 35-40 home run guy here. He signed for, what, $43 uh, million over three years. Yeah, with Arizona, that, right? very affordable for them. Yeah, and he's a right-handed power bat. They don't yep. really have much of that. Why you did not go, I shook my head. I said, there's there's a guy sitting. You, You don't want to spend big money on somebody, but there's a guy that you know what you're going to get. He's going to bring up the Fenway Park. You know this guy is going to hit you a bunch of home runs. You put him in the middle of the ladder. I do not like Yoshida. I think it was a terrible signing. I would never sign anyone who's a lousy defensive player because you are so limited what you could do. I would see if they could trade him for a draft pick or see if somebody wants him. But you've got to start the fans showing how upset you are. It's a business. It's like going into a market. You don't like this business. You you like that, but you don't go back. And the fans, if they just pile this stadium and pay the highest prices and keep quiet, they're going to see more of the same. Everybody should let them know how upset we are, especially me as a longtime Red Sox fan.
5: All right, Ralph, thanks for the call. And, uh, Fitzy, we got some more meat on that bone there, Mm -hmm. but we do got to go to break. Believe it or not, Fitzy, already going into the final segment.
3: Where has the time gone before we get to Red Sox baseball today here with Castig's? And Bradfoe. Hopefully uh Bradfoe doesn't give old Bay potato chips to Castiglione once again and try to try to spice him out of the booth. Uh John, I want to get your thoughts on the draft. Um, some recently retired members of the Patriots. And let's uh let's just wrap everything up and put a bow on it when we come back to Fitzie and Lions here on WEEI.
2: Back to Fitzy and Lions on WEI.
3: All right, just a couple minutes left here on the old Fitzy and Lions program. We have talked to some Red Sox. Jen McCaffrey was kind enough to join us from The Athletic to give us a little insight on the spring training action. We talked some Celtics and why we believe that they are not only the best team in the NBA, but our best hope to end this interminable championship in duck boat drought, John, obviously. It's been
5: five whole years since our last I, parade, I, 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 February I read, 2019. I wake up, I, I was
3: I was in that parade. Yes. I, ro- I rode a duck boat in that parade. It is truly one of the highlights of this life that didn't involve getting married or uh, well, a child being that. born. Well, it includes that. Nah. It's
5: in the highlight package. Don't tell my wife. It's in the highlight package. I didn't say it goes first. John, just, you
3: haven't really lived until you've yeah. turned the corner, been on a duck boat, seen a million people standing in the street. And then basically put your hand up, and then instead of Excalibur being thrown your way or a lightsaber coming to it, somebody just hucks a 16-ounce Pabst tall boy, ice cold at you. You catch it, you crush it, you slam it on the duck boat, and then people cheer for you. At that moment in time, I thought,
5: I actually might feel like I, I can live forever. Yeah, that's when you just kind of physically ascend right up oh, to heaven. Oh, yes, like that point. Was, yeah. I'm not even sure if this is
3: all a sim or like yeah. an interesting. I hope it's not, not a sim. I hope not as well yeah. because I'd like it's to real for me. I'd it's like sweet. to take my kids to that parade as well. And i have like many more yeah. duck boats to tour yeah. through Boston. Um,
5: if the Celtics win a championship, you and I should go on a duck boat just because we said we'll be nice there things because, today.
3: Because we did. We opened the show to, yeah. and also not just talking all yeah. Patriots. But in our final four minutes of the show, I did want to get to um, some news NFL-wise because obviously we are in the franchise tag period right now. And we also have free agency coming up well before the draft, which we are spending so much time on and obsessing over. Uh, and it seems that another potentially high-priced, coveted veteran wide receiver will be staying put this offseason.
5: Yeah, it looks like uh, reports are Mike Evans, uh, the Bucks are working to retain him. Seems like it could be a long-term deal. Of course, T. Higgins has already been franchised. So really, when you look at this free agent class at wide receiver, like I, like Michael Pittman, to me, is a really good player. Mm -hmm. But then you have like Marquise Brown. Don't love him. Calvin Ridley, good player, but there's a lot of serious question marks. Tyler Boyd's the third option. And since like it's thinning out Mm -hmm. pretty quickly, this free agent receiver class. And
3: it would be a case to me of with a lot of those other guys, Josh Reynolds in Detroit. Boo, he did not have the right kind of tape at the end of that NFC championship to head into free agency with.
5: Just send the tape from the Rams game.
3: Yeah. 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 (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe not the NFC championship, but. It seems like it would be overpaying out of a position of need, which is great for the agents and managers and the players, not so great for the team that would be importing the talent. I never thought Mike Evans would shake free from Tampa. They'd be foolhardy to let him go. T. Higgins was a pipe dream. I know Andy Hart loves the player and thought he would have been massive here. But the Bengals know that they have to hold on to him in a go-for-it type of year because they're going to break the bank next year when they sign Jamar Chase. So to get T. Higgins on that kind of free franchise tag deal, that makes sense for them. This, to me, says the Patriots are going to have to target wide receiver more in the upcoming draft. But I just wanted to get your feel for the receivers and the quarterbacks. And if the Patriots do make a move with the third overall pick, do you think that that would be to uh, because they like a quarterback better later? Is that to bolster the O-line or maybe out of need because they could lose Kendrick Bourne, who they haven't signed yet, and he's ahead of recovery on his ACL surgery? How do you feel about
5: all that? Yeah, and I think like the first thing they need to do cuz they have three huge needs on offense, right? Quarterback, receiver, and tackle, and tight ends a sneaky need. You don't know if Hunter Henry's going to be back, and even if he is, like I like Farrell Brown, do you re-sign him? Do you try to add somebody with more athleticism? I-, I don't know, but you have three huge needs and the smaller need at tight end. You have to fix one of those in free like you cannot fix all of them in the draft. So I it feels to me like tackle's going to be the free agency. Like they're going to re- they should re-sign Mike Onwenu, no brainer. Then maybe Austin Jackson, Jonah Williams, which brings us to the draft, Fitzy. Like, I love Marvin Harrison Jr., Mm -hmm. but I don't think that's the guy you draft at three overall. And the reason I say that is do you end up with a Calvin Johnson situation where you have a Hall of Fame receiver, but you only make the playoffs a couple times because the infrastructure around him is just not good enough to get you to playoffs? Because the Patriots right now, they have a playoff defense, Mm -hmm. but they have these huge needs on offense. And I think... That's why you go quarterback early if you like him. Otherwise, trade down.
3: So you're not going to put a lot of money maybe into Duggar. You're not going to put a lot of money into Uche. Resign Jennings, perhaps?
5: Yeah, I would. Oh, yeah.
3: Because I think he had a pretty solid second half of the 2023 season. As far as the offense, on when it becomes a priority to me. Left tackle as well. That's where you should spend your money. And then this is a draft where you can get offensive line depth, and there's so many good receivers out there as well. You tell me, like, I mean, I, I love Maserati Marv as well, but if the Pats move back in the draft because they don't love those quarterbacks up top, well, we'll see. There's definitely depth that can be had. John, great job today. Great working with you. He's at the real John Lyons. That's J-O-N, John Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. Great job, Nico. Thank you, Jen McCaffrey, for joining us. And thank you, the good listeners of Weei, for weighing in on the text line, calling in, sharing your thoughts, and so much more. Coming up, it's spring training baseball, baby. Catch the fever of Red Sox action right here on boston sports original
1: 93.7 fm weei see you everybody we really need new phones t-mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iphone 15s and each line is only 25 dollars a month new iphone 15s
5: over
2: here! only at t-mobile get four iphone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch